Hello and a warm welcome back to the Interplast Insights podcast. I'm your host Dave Gray and this episode I'm pleased to say is a roundtable discussion between three key stakeholders in the UK's plastics industry. Now the focus of this episode is on energy savings for plastic processes, a topic which has never been more pertinent. Joining me for this discussion are Joe Davis, Managing Director at Brown Main Plastics, a contract moulder down in Dorking, Robin Kent, Managing Director at Plastics Consultancy Tangram Technology, and Carl Reeve, Managing Director at Premier Moulding Machinery, the UK arm for high-tier machines. So I asked these three to join me because Joe and her team at Brown Main have recently implemented some changes to their operation, which have resulted in considerable energy savings. Robin, I asked on because he's spent much of his long career in the plastics industry working with moulders to help them operate more sustainably. And Carl has been vocal on social media about the importance of adopting new tech to help reduce energy consumption. So I thought that between them, these three would have some really useful insights on the topic. So without further ado, here's the conversation. I just want to start by asking you all, with energy prices continuing to be such a huge challenge for the industry, is the processing community taking things seriously enough? Have they been quick to take action? How do you feel about that? The reality is no. This has been gestating for probably 10, 15 years. I've been doing energy management as a, almost a full-time job since about 1998. And I still struggle to get people to engage. I can remember back in 19, well, no, maybe 2000, when they put the climate change levy on, and that was going to be 0.43 pence per kilowatt hour. And everybody was going, oh, it's going to be the death of the plastics industry. Would that we were back there where energy was costing about 4.3 pence per kilowatt hour. I really think the industry hasn't taken notice early enough or taken it seriously enough. This is self-inflicted. Carl, what do you think? Yeah, I, I have to agree with, agree with Robin. Um, I mean, he has been doing this since before I was born, probably. But, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Yeah, we've been banging on about energy efficiency for five or six years. We can demonstrate a model whereby you can buy a new all-electric machine and pay for it on electricity savings alone inside five years when the unit costs were at 10, 14, 15 pence a unit. And we couldn't get the engagement within the sector from the manufacturers. They were just, they weren't interested. And I was banging my head against the wall thinking I'm missing something here. This, this is so obvious. Why isn't it? And when I came across Robin, uh, he said, Oh, don't worry about it. I've been doing this for 50 years and it's <laughs> people still weren't engaged with it. So now I don't think we've taken it seriously enough. And I do think that the, the current crisis has brought it to the fore. And I think people are reacting now, but I don't, I, I don't feel necessarily quickly enough and not across the board even now i think people are still hoping holding out hope that prices will drop and everything will go back to how it used to be and joe you're here as a kind of a a shining example of someone who has been proactive and both before the current crisis and also during but why do you think that robin and carl might have come up against this reluctance or hesitation with with other members of the community i think 
a cost it's to, it's to do with cost so the cost of power was a relatively small percentage of our overheads and it's only now that it's a large percentage of our overheads that people are more interested and to a degree can just make that justification because obviously there's so much more justification now for moving to to more electric machine than than there was and people are nervous of change you know you've got your you know your your processors who know how to use the machines they've got they know how to use that type of machine that brand whatever brand they're using you're throwing a lot of potential I mean we know that that's perfectly manageable but I think a lot of people probably would be nervous of that that's kind of brought me on to one of my later questions but but we'll jump straight to it how easy has it been I know that you invested in electric machines some years ago but you're still running a lot of hydraulic machines as well how easy was it for you when you when you initially made that switch what what did it involve what were some of the challenges I just don't think there were any. <laughs> Maybe the fact that because we we sorry, Carl, we've got DMAG machines. It was it was a, I know I'm sorry. It was a more expensive machine to buy than non-electric, but um, we just decided we needed to, to try that and do that. And it's you know it's obviously it's proved a success, and it's what we will do now going forwards as soon as we can. In a way, I, I, I hate to say this, I think our model of manufacturing is broken. And and the reason I say it's broken is because most of us were brought up to think about direct labour only. We were thought we always thought if we can only get our cost of direct labour down, then everything will be all right. And we we've sort of forgotten that the, the wetware, the, the direct labour, is actually almost insignificant now in comparison to energy costs. The savings you can make by reducing direct labour, they're not there anymore. You know, you, you can't make save if we've all hewed and cut at the direct labour and trying to get direct labour costs down now just simply doesn't work anymore. You've got to go for the other stuff. The next online is energy. And then after that, you've got to go for materials. How long has that been the case for, Robin? Oh, many years. I mean, if you, if, sorry, this is my experience that if you go to the Far East, China, Thailand, Indonesia, anywhere like that, where direct labor costs are really low, their energy costs as a percentage are second only to their raw materials cost and these are the most energy efficient factories in the world because it's their, it's their second most important cost they focus on it we're still trying to focus on direct labor and and so for those people who i think this this might be prevalent especially in the uk but perhaps on the continent as well for those people who still insist that there hasn't been much advancement in in technology particularly for imms what what would you guys say to that how would you challenge that or would you challenge that yes i suppose i should step in at this point yeah there's but there's been massive development there, there's been a step change in technology from hydraulic to servo hydraulic machines as a first stage and electric machines so you know, there's been electric. Well, how how long have electric machines been in the market, Robin? It's it's a good few years. Twenty five years. Twenty five. Sounds. I'll, I'll go with that. I mean, 
Haitian produce about 10,000 electric machines a year. So that's a huge number. And the technology, so we're on our third generation of electric machines. If you look at our second generation and our third generation, there is a marked improvement on energy consumption. So, but if you take it, if you take a, a server hydraulic machine from a hydraulic machine, you're looking at 60, 70 odd percent saving in consumption. That's massive. It's, it's, it was always massive. And now with the energy crisis, that is just a much bigger number of savings. We've, we've literally just done, again, I'm, I'm open to, to be contradicted on any of these figures, but we, we say normally the average machine out there in the market is about a 250 tonner. It's about the most common machine. We go up to five and a half thousands and down to 40 tonners, but largely speaking, it we come in about 250. So we often use that as our mid range example. And we're doing energy trials now where customers switching from a, from a hydraulic machine. And again, like the average in market, 20 odd year old European manufactured machine switching to an electric machine, our third generation electric machine, they're saving 75 to 80% on average across the jobs that they're running. It's massive. And that machine at their current rates, they signed up this year for 70 pence. They got, you know, they, they were pleased with 70 pence at the time. That machine pays for itself in 13 months on electricity alone. I mean, that's, you know, that is, this is a massive change in the market, which, you know, we, when we tell people these figures, they literally don't believe them, which is why, which is why I carry this around, Robin, you'll be <laughs> pleased to hear, it's your book, but I carry that around and, and I recommend it all the time because it's not just our machines. Obviously, I'd love people to buy high gem machines, but this technology exists out there and it's available across the board. Whatever your price point you want to be paying, you can buy electric machines. And it transforms what we do in the sector. It's, you know, companies like Joe's, who I think have, have done brilliantly well. And she's light years ahead of a lot of the market and even some of the big players in our sector. I'm sure Robin's been knocking on, you've been around many of these plants over the years. And as he says in his book, you know, they still think changing the light bulbs is the, is the idea, you know. No, it isn't. You've really got to go for your big usage. And that's that's the machine is, is your primary use in the, in the molding sector. So you know, to heat up large volumes of oil and then immediately start cooling it again before you start produ producing is just mad in today's market. It's completely unnecessary. And we need to catch up. We need to get on board. Maybe I need to be doing the... More, more publicity on it, but dragging Robin out to tell people about it. I think I think you're you're absolutely right, Carl. And I see it because I've been benchmarking machines, hydraulic, all electric, for probably twenty years now. And I'm actually seeing that my benchmark curve, which I first put together in about two thousand and three, two thousand and four, I'm seeing the new generation machines coming in well under that benchmark. So I think you can see that this generational change has happened. What I'm, say what I'm saying is that we're actually seeing huge improvements in the generations of 
electric or servo hydraulic machines. You, you know, like the servos and electric machines that were around in 2002, 2003, which were the early machines, they're now, the savings are now being dwarfed by the 2022, 2023 models. You know, they're hugely more efficient. But I don't think the technology, it's not just about injection molding machines. It's about compressors. It's about chillers. It's about all of the technology, which years ago, when I was trying to tout saying, you know, fit variable speed drives to pumps, they were incredibly expensive. And the payback time was two or three years. The payback time for variable speed drives now is months, six months. It becomes not a CapEx proposal, it's an OPEX. It's, you know, just go and buy it, do it, fit it, it's done. And it pays back in six months. I just fundamentally don't understand why people aren't making the leap. But, you know, one of the bits, and then this comes back to one of the previous discussions we had, it's people like Joe are trying to do this huge culture change, which you know people have just got i said the wrong model i guess you'd call it in terms of joe's thing it's a culture change definitely and i, I want to come i want to revisit this this idea of culture change because i think that's that's an important part of it but joe just reflecting on on some of the numbers that carl quoted is does that come as a surprise to you and and with your sort of real world experience of having upgraded part of your to to sort of help qualify some of the stuff that carl is is suggesting yeah absolutely i mean we've got meters on measuring our usage on probably 50 percent of our machines and we've got it on our compressor we've got it on var- print machines we've got it on various things and we're moving them around all of the time and we we can completely measure the the difference between our 180 ton which is electric and our 25 ton you know that's using something like six times more than our 180 or whatever you know it's it's significant but it it is also quite hard as a as a small business to make lots of big investments all at once because you just have you know you're, you're taking on a lot of borrowing to do that unless you've got cash in the bank and that that's difficult that's difficult to do well, that's, that leads me really well on to my next question, which is what other support is there out there at the moment? Because it, it seems to change quite a lot. And I think there's possibly some bureaucracy involved that people are maybe put off getting their heads around. So I don't know who's best to answer this question, but what, what kind of support is there for capital investment? Yeah, I mean, I, I can let you know what I mean. We obviously, we do a lot of energy surveys and we do a, a lot of, so we see a lot of molders and they approach it in many different ways. I think one of the, the comments people make is, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm nervous about this and I've got cash in, you know, I'm going to keep my cash in the bank. And actually that doesn't, that doesn't take much, in, much interrogation to see that that really doesn't make a great deal of sense on the payback. We've got lenders that we work with and they are very, they're very keen on anything that shows energy savings. So HSBC is our bank um, talking to HSBC about loans and they'll say, oh, well, you know, what do you want to do? And it's things up in the air. You tell them that what the sort of payback periods are on this type of machinery and their ears prick up because they're obviously ticking some box somewhere in their system to say, oh, if we're showing energy savings or this environmentally friendly, then great, we'll talk to you about it. So 
we found that quite encouraging with um, with the, the the appetite in the loans market at the moment for hard assets. So if it's a moldy machine, it's something they recognize. It's something that you know, if it was a car or something, they know they can they can sell on. IT equipment is still not very attractive to them. They're still they think that's got an eighteen month shelf life. But something that we would normally write off over ten years on a on a balance sheet that can pay for itself. So to be immediately cash flow positive on a three to five year loan is very attractive to them. And in terms of government support, what's available there and does it work? Is it complicated? Well, the super deduction tax comes to an end in March this year. I thought it was for this particular government, one of the better ideas they came up with. I'm I'm surprised that it hasn't been used as much as it has. But where people have used it, it's brilliant. You get a hundred if you if you if you make profits, you get a hundred and thirty percent back on your capital allowances, which effectively is if you're buying new equipment, it's a twenty five percent discount on whatever you buy. So where people have have taken that on board, they have piled into it in the last two years. So we've got clients who have upgraded almost their entire fleet in the last two years and others who are still sitting back saying, we're going to wait and see what happens. So it, it's it's free money. So it's, it's definitely, that's been excellent support. Some of the others, the Energy Transformation Fund run as a competition. You get a percentage change between the price of an energy efficient and a standard piece of equipment next to useless for a, certainly for SMEs to jump through that number of hoops to get a relatively small amount of money just didn't seem to make any sense. And I think it's fair to say we don't do anywhere near as much support for business as our European competitors. What do they do? Well, there's been a lot of incentives to drive people to, you know, there, there was something called net zero that we were trying to get to. Do you remember when we were trying to save the economy before everything else hit the fan? And in, around Europe, so we've had it in Italy, regionally in Germany, in Spain, in France. People have been given some, in, in some term, in some places, grants, in other places, low interest loans to invest in energy efficient equipment. It's something I've banged on about for, for quite some time. It just seems to make perfect sense. We're competing in the global market. We're no longer in, in the EU. We need to compete globally. So we need to be efficient. We're running a very old fleet of equipment in this country. I think it's the oldest fleet outside of Romania in the developed world. And so modern equipment, lower prices for production. They're more energy efficient, better cycle times, more efficiency and reducing that energy. I mean, if we upgraded the fleet of molding machines in the UK to certain, even to server hydraulic, we'd save about 400,000 households of electricity every year. And when we're looking at global security and worried about where we're going to get our energy from, we should be looking at that. And I think government should be driving that change. Joe, from your side, do you feel that the the funding that will be available up until March was accessible enough? Do you think processes are aware of other opportunities, private funding that's available? We we certainly are aware of that, and we try, you know, we keep our eye out on on any government funding and any bank private funding. I'd, I'd say that government funding is quite difficult to understand, <laughs> you know what, and so we tend 
we tend to, to fund things privately. The, the, the important bit, Dave, is that you can't really help people who won't help themselves. I hate to say, I hate to put it as brutally as that, but we've focused a little bit on the, I guess you call it the hardware, you know, the, the, the injection molding machines, which, you know, there's, there, there may or may not be rationale for replacing the whole fleet, but actually companies aren't doing simple things which they can do at no cost or at extraordinarily low cost to actually help themselves. Yeah, in your book, you talk about a thirty percent this 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 potential of thirty percent energy savings, and as you say, there is no there's no magic bullet. It's not just upgrade your fleet of machines, right? So, that what 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 is the give give us the full uh, as as best you can give us the full picture of of what people need to be considering. Well, I mean, I always try and divide it up to make it easy for people. If I say, and I tend to walk into a factory, and when I walk into a factory, 30% is my aim. Yeah. Sometimes, most times I find it, sometimes I don't. 10% of that is pure and simple management. It's the sort of stuff that Joe is doing. It's monitoring your machines, understanding where your energy is going, monitor what we call M&T, monitoring and targeting, understanding where you use. And most of that management stuff can be done in six months, three to six months, 10% savings. The next bit is what I call the maintenance stuff, which is generally under the capex hurdles. That's things like compressed air leaks, compressed air use, chiller, chilled water insulation, chilled water controls, variable speed drives, all of those sort of low cost. They're the sort of stuff that your maintenance guys can do fairly easily. Payback times for that, for the maintenance stuff, nine to 12 months. And then there's the other 10%, which comes from the tech, technology, the CapEx stuff, which is what we've been talking about now, which is the machines. So 20% savings are accessible virtually for free with low, pay, low payback times and low CapExes, or in fact, no CapExes. But you go into companies and a colleague of mine, he, he's going into a company next week and he said, Basically, they don't know how much they spend on energy. Well, frankly, that's stupid. I won't tell you what the company's name is, but frankly, if you don't know literally to the minute what you're spending on energy, that's not a failure of technology or a failure of investment. That's a failure of management. Mm. Sorry, can't help those who won't help themselves. Joe and her team are helping themselves. You know, sure, investment would help them more, but, you know, she's got constraints, as everybody does, but it doesn't help, doesn't stop you doing the no-cost and low-cost stuff, and yet we're still not doing that. And how do how do you find, in your experience, Robin, you've been doing this, this work for a number of years, how do you, do you find that the companies that you work with, once they re start to realise those benefits, do you find that it's easy for them to keep up the best practice or do you find that standards start to slip and you end up revisiting things with them? That's not my model, but the answer is yes. You know, this is a huge cultural change and, and, you know, people move on, companies move on and it, 
it needs constant reinforcement yeah and, and and management attention and and this is a great sort of time to to get your experience joe because this culture change is something that, that we've talked on a little bit offline prior to the conversation today so what was talk us through what the what the kind of situation was like before you start making changes and then what what changes did you implement so before I went on the course with Robin and before the big book that came from the BPF arrived in our office, which I have to say I think was an amazing initiative, we weren't doing anything. We thought we were trying, you know, we were like, oh, like you say, turning off the lights, you know, we, we thought we were doing our bit, but we weren't doing, we didn't publish our power consumption to our team. I monitored it every month. I didn't really share that or do anything with that. So we we monitored it and shared that information for three months. Then we made some changes. The first thing we did was look at our compressor and our chiller and when they were being used, when they shouldn't be used. So that's that's made a massive change straight, really easy straight away. We've started, we've, we've had these widgets fitted to our machines that, that measure what they're using, which is brilliant because now everybody can log in and see what machines using what everybody's interested in that little bit of tech because actually we're quite lucky we've got a team who are very sort of fresh and interested in tech and that type of thing I think I'm really lucky because everybody in our management team is enthusiastic about the environment saving things so that makes it so much easier if you've got some people that are sort of climate change deniers or or even just very stuck in their ways that's so much more difficult so that's made it much easier for us if i'm really honest and similar similar to the question that i i posed to robin how do you plan to sort of maintain this that these new sort of better habits and and this new regime if you like Okay, so we have a we have nine company objectives each year, and power and sustainability now forms one of those, which it didn't. We in our management data on a monthly basis, we're now measuring the the cost of power as a percentage of turnover, which we didn't before, and we have that as a target. So if that slips, that flags up, you know, to the management team, there's something gone wrong there. We're publishing the data, and we are in. Everybody has very regular one to ones and annual objectives. And that's all about we're we're focusing on waste because actually most waste costs us power. So we're kind of getting it in under the radar. We've got a committee that meets every month. So we're really keeping behind it, actually. Yeah. You've you've I think you guys get an early dart on a Friday, don't you now, Joe? We do. We finish at two o'clock. Happy days. <laughs> that's, again. A new thing. that's a new thing. People can do flexi days as well now, which they couldn't do before. But again, it's, it comes back to the, the productivity and, and, and the efficiencies that you've been able to, to realise. It's, it's sort of had some unexpected kind of benefits in that sense as well. And if everyone can, um, you know, if your whole team can enjoy that, then um, it's, it's got to be a really good thing. Have the, have the company bought into it, Joe? Saving energy. Yeah. So I definitely think... My the senior managers and the and the rest of the managers, yes, they're they're engaged in in all of the, the initiatives we do. Actually, I'd say perhaps our shop floor. I think we're probably not yet giving them enough of a steer of what what we need to do differently, and that's kind of 
our next phase that we're working on. Just to, just to give you an idea, many years ago I worked with, and I'll, I won't mention his name, but he does know who he is. He's probably one of the finest energy managers in the plastics industry working in a company. And he, they took over a company and he went into the company and new company and he trained everybody, managing director to the shop floor sweeper in the basics of energy management, a 40 minute training program delivered consistently over five shifts to everybody. And the next month, their energy use dropped by 20%. And the next month, that 20% was maintained just simply by getting the workforce engaged. Now, I hate to make a plug here, but that training course is available for free. So you can download it. It's a PowerPoint training program with trainers notes. And we've seen companies that train from top to bottom, the consistent message about what we want to do actually achieve remarkable things. The workforce understand what it's all about. They And Joe said, it's getting the steer for the people who go, there's an off button there. That's not doing anything. I'm going to press the off button. So it is essential to train the workers and, and to get them engaged. I yeah. just, cannot say how important that is we did do that course we used it our maintenance engineer he's he only started with us about eight months ago as well so we've we've been a little bit challenged because we haven't had a maintenance in-house engineer for quite a while but he ran that course with all with everybody and then he did a question and he gave them three questions that where you know what 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 do you see that's waste where do you see it and whatever and, and use their feedback and then some of those things have been implemented, some of those things weren't relevant, and we fed that back. And I think I, that has definitely helped. I just think it's just the same as with raw materials. People are happy to spill it because it doesn't have, it doesn't, it's not pound notes. If it was, they would pick it up. It, it does surprise me that it's quite difficult to get this message across, bearing in mind people are suffering personally. You know, yeah. They're going home, making those savings, and it, it's, it's just like it's just, I hate to say it, but if it's not your money, I think you're not as careful with it. OPM, Joe, other people's money. One of the, um, we, we do a lot of energy surveys for people. So our engineers, whenever they're out and about, if we've got time, they'll go in and do energy surveys for customers or, or prospects. And one of the most shocking items for people is when we do it, we give them a running cost on one of our machines, a server hydraulic, or even not one of ours, you know, a, a competitor's server hydraulic or electric machine. And you put a, an energy counter on it while it's running. You take that off and put it onto a machine that somebody's put into hand and isn't running. Yeah. And a 20-year-old machine is using more power, not make, making anything, just on standby, than a modern machine is in full production. And suddenly people, they take a look and they oh, my God. Because there'll be somebody who wander around each morning and because they're being helpful, they'll go around and turn the machines on. <laughs> The definition of insanity. I'll tell you one of the secret approaches I use when I'm doing an energy survey, and that is to walk onto a factory floor and I go, 
take me to a machine that's not producing anything, that's stopped. And they go, well, you're supposed to be helping us save energy. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take me to a machine that's stopped. And you'll go to machines that are stopped and they've been stopped for two weeks or something like that. And there is air leaking out of them. The the chilled water is still running through the tool. The the conveyors are still running. The the main hydraulic motor, which, as Carl says, uses up to 75%. The base load for a hydraulic machine is about 75% average. And you go and you find all of these things on a stopped machine. And you go... Just stop doing stupid stuff. You do, this is not rocket science. If it was rocket science, I wouldn't be able to do it. Just stop doing stupid stuff. I think that's going to be the title of this episode. <laughs> Guys, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you all so much for your time. I just want to wrap up with kind of like a, a final thought from each of you. What is one thing that any molder listening to this could do today to start making energy savings. I'll start with I'll start with you, Carl. That's harsh. I, I sell moulding machines, so you know, forgive me. I genuinely believe, having having followed closely what Robin's been doing, I think the biggest item you've got in a in a moulding company is the machinery, and there has been a step change in technology, and the the combination of our our particular price point. And energy savings means the payback on this is so fast and it will be the biggest impact that you can have in a factory. So for me, that's where the concentration should be. I agree with all the other energy saving advice that Robin gives and that Joe's obviously carried out. But for me, the moulding machines themselves, people need to take another look at it and say, now, can we afford this? Getting payback in under three years for a massive piece of capital equipment that, that you will write off over 10 years just seemed like a no-brainer to me. Okay. Joe, what do you think? I think it's turning off machinery that's not being used, machinery and equipment that's not being used. I mean, we've saved, we've gone, we've probably saved at least 10% of our usage by doing that. And, and finally, Robin, over to you. What do you think? Just stop doing stupid stuff. (laughs) Well, no, the the reality is we all know what the stupid stuff is, but I walk into factories almost on a daily basis and you point it out and they go, oh, yeah, maybe we should have done that. Stop doing stupid stuff. You'll save money. (laughs) Excellent. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time this morning. I've really enjoyed the chat and hope to have you back on the podcast soon. And also see you all in Splat. See you in the class. Well, that's all for this episode. A big thank you again to my guests, Joe Davis, Robin Kent, and Carl Reeve. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast using your podcast provider of choice to make sure that you never miss an episode. Till next time, goodbye. <laughs>